Welcome to the 137th installment of Ear to the Ground, the Land Stewardship Project's audio podcast on family farming, sustainable agriculture, local food systems, and local democracy. I'm Brian DeVore, editor of the Land Stewardship Letter. One way to build soil health is to make sure there are living plants on a field surface during those months before and after a regular cash crop like corn or soybeans is being grown. Cover crops are an ideal way to protect and feed the soil during those times when this critical resource would normally be bare and lifeless. In the Midwest, cover cropping consists of planting small grains and other species that don't have a high market value within a cash crop field. This can be done during the growing season or soon after harvest. The cover crop protects the soil surface while its root system helps feed the microbes and other parts of the soil universe underneath. The result is less erosion, better use of moisture, and the kind of robust soil health that can produce crops with fewer inputs long into the future. Recently, the Land Stewardship Project held a cover cropping field day at the Jerry Moracle Farm in western Minnesota. Jerry farms with his grandson, Taylor, and they raise corn, soybeans, alfalfa, navy beans, and wheat on 850 acres. Because of concerns about soil erosion, the Moracles recently switched to no-till farming, a system that shuns plowing and disturbs the soil as little as possible during the growing season. When transitioning to no-till production, farmers often find their yields drop the first few years. In an attempt to reduce that period of time when yields will be lower, the Moracles have been experimenting with cover crops. During June 2013, they used a specially modified seeder to plant up to 10 species of cover crops on some of their corn acres. During the Land Stewardship Project field day in late August, a healthy stand of cover crops could be seen growing between the tall corn rows. Once the corn is harvested, these plants will provide cover over the winter, as well as some grazing for Taylor's beef cow herd. After the field day, I talked to Jerry and Taylor about their experiment with cover crops. Taylor started out talking about the diverse mix they used. Yeah, we planted a mixture of cow peas, common vetch, spring lentils, winter peas, berceme clover, crimson clover, annual ryegrass, pearl millet, and a nitro radish, and turnips on a few acres. All these we, we did a fairly low amount uh, pounds-wise. Pounds um, we weren't really sure which ones we were going to perform, so we just did a small amount of each just to see what would, would uh, work and for, the, for the way that we're, we're planting the, the cover crops. So that was the mixture that we did. It was anywhere from one to four pounds, I guess, of some of those mixtures. So you'll, uh, you'll harvest that as dry corn this fall, and then, then what happens? What, what's, what do you do with the cover crops? Is there something you, some kind of economic value you can get out of those after that, or what's the, what's the plan after that? On a small uh, 40 acres of it, I guess I'm going to run my beef cows out there after the corn's off. The rest of it is just going to be there as uh, plant matter and, and cover for the soil. We had an average of probably right around 20 or $22 a seed an acre. And that's a 40-acre field, and it, so I figured it costs us right around $800. That's maybe kind of on the low end, but $800 to plant that field. And then with the price of hay now, I divided that out amongst 18 head and figured that it would, if I could graze that field for 30 or 32 days, right around in there, that I would get my seed costs back out of the cover crop even more than that I think because then I won't have to be going out there for that extra 30 days and feeding them 
pay manually every day or every other day or whatever it would be. So I think in the it would save even probably even uh, less days than that to probably pay for itself because it didn't take long to seed. So, Jerry, I'm not going to let you off the hook here. Can you describe a little bit about this, uh, the uh, cedar that you guys kind of custom built here? I, why, why was it you felt like you couldn't just use one out of the implement dealer? Or what was it about this that you needed to modify to, to kind of get what you needed? We uh, wanted something that could cover at least 30 feet. And you have the three-point mounted cyclone cedars that have a fan that blows out the seed and... They work well, except if you got multiple different kinds of seed. The heavy seeds will go to the throughout, but they'll extend further out on each side, and the grass will stay more in the middle. And so we wanted a cedar that was going to drop the same mixture all the way across the 30 feet. So we decided we were going to build this cedar, so we found some insecticide boxes. Uh, we did have a 30-foot bar, and then we bought some components from a John Deere grain drill, and uses our metering system and put it on this bar and it ended up not costing us very much money at all and it did work extremely well but we do have to incorporate some sort of a device on there to cover the seed as we plant to get more germination what was it about the cover cropping that uh, i mean that's that's another kind of uh, fly in the ointment as far as your management system is is introducing cover crops what, what was it about them that you guys wanted to, why did you want to look into that well, when we started researching the, the no-till, we, reading up on researching that switching to no-till, you in you know, you might have a yield drag for five years or so, but if you integrate cover crops, that was supposed to either wipe out that yield drag or at least uh, keep it within one or two years. So that was kind of the idea behind it, and uh, if you're always kind of started researching the cover crops more and, uh, you know, found that there can be a lot of benefits from them as far as uh, the, like, radishes and whatnot, doing our tillage and building nitrogen and whatnot to try and cut fertilizer costs maybe down the road someday. And then just always to have something growing on the surface to feed all the bugs in the soil and, and whatnot. Next, I talked to Jim Paulson, a University of Minnesota Extension educator and forage specialist. He described how cover crops can be a way for farmers to combine soil conservation with value-added enterprises like livestock grazing. With the cover crop system, even if it's just an annual cover crop, let's say, that it can be maybe a way to, I guess, as an entry point into grazing. Like if you're going to, you're trying to add some economic value to those cover crops, because that's always the big issue. Well, you know, there isn't a market for rye or for oats or whatever, but uh, that this could be an entry point if you do have livestock, of course, or maybe your neighbors do, a way to get into grazing, see how you like it, and kind of do the economics on it a little bit. There certainly is some good considerations there. One, I think anytime we start doing new things on the farm, we have a, a, a learning curve. We obviously don't want to gamble the whole farm on doing something totally different. You know, so there's there's opportunities to learn from other people, but yet we've got to make it specific to our farm. So we can start doing a little bit, try some acres, try a little little patch. And then if you have thought about either returning to some livestock or the potential of getting into it, that's a good way to do it. And it also is a nice way to uh, maybe stretch some supplies. Maybe we already are grazing. We have a pasture system. We look at how can we improve the management of our pastures and maybe by putting in some warm season annual crops, we might be able to help us with a summer slump. Again, increasing the productivity of our farm, the sustainability of our farm through productivity, 
through uh, environmental benefits and uh, soil benefits. And in, in the process, uh, we're learning as we go. We're sharing that with other people, and we're learning from other people. Maybe uh, you don't own the livestock, but yet it's part of a system. Maybe it's a system a little bit bigger than your own farm, um, but it's with friends and neighbors, and we can start looking at those kind of things. Finally, USDA soil scientist Sharon Wires took me through a basic lesson on soil health. Cover crops can improve soil health, but I was wondering if you could back up a little bit and give us a little bit of a 101 on soil quality or soil health. You know, what is that? That's a word that's kind of being thrown around a lot these days, and maybe how that's different than the way we view soil of, I think a lot of times soil conservation, for example, is looked at, well, how can we just keep that soil in place? But this is kind of going deeper into that a little bit. If you want to equate that with human health, if you have a healthy soil, that soil is able to support whatever managed or natural ecosystem productivity we expect to get from that particular land use. And that means that it's functioning at a high optimum level where nutrient inputs as far as um, chemical inputs that humans might use are limited or reduced, that it can sustain productivity by itself because you're using good management practices, you're maintaining or increasing soil carbon, you're supporting below ground biological activity that helps to cycle nutrients and make it available for plants when they need it, and um, benefits the environment downstream by reducing pollution or nitrate loss to the rivers improves air quality as well so it sounds like it's it's kind of a way of making that soil kind of self kind of self-perpetuating or self-sufficient self-sustaining self-sustaining that's a term that i've heard used a lot self-sustaining in a natural system there are no inputs except what comes in the rain or what comes in the dust that lands there and we can see in native prairies that there's a healthy ecosystem, that there's not a lot of disease that's reducing the prairie biomass. Um, there's lots of beneficial insects. There might be some bad insects, but they're getting eaten because there's other good insects that balance that out. And the system just works. If we can develop management systems that move towards that naturalized area, then we're, we're going to be benefiting ourselves down the line. So what are some of the top ways we can do that? A, a farmer can be doing that uh, in their system to improve that, get that to that self-sustaining system. Well, you can think of it as the soil health pyramid, and at the bottom is soil quality or soil organic matter. The soil organic matter is the resources that microbes like bacteria and fungi feed off of, and they support other organisms that are larger or keep cycling that nutrient. So if you feed the soil carbon, then we can improve all the up, top down as well as bottom up. So specifically, when you're out there farming, what's some of the systems out there that are really, I know one of the things we talked about today was cover crops. It sounds like that's maybe a real a really good way to feed that system, and it, it, there's other benefits as well? Well, cover crops are a good way to jumpstart the system. Um, they can add carbon, carbon to the soil because they're growing, and we're not necessarily taking them off and uh, for harvest and removing the nutrients that they've fixed or pulled out of the soil. Um, other ways to build soil organic matter are to bring in 
added manures, animal manures. You can grow green manures in an area and add them to the soil. Um, but by and far, today we were talking about the cover crops. It's one of the easiest things to do that uh, you just have to plant the seed and you're not hauling a lot of other stuff out there into the field. It's also a challenge here in Minnesota because we have a cool, wet climate and timing of and planting mechanisms are in their infancy of developing. We have some really novel ideas coming from farmers and they're on the forefront of this research, but um, timing that so that you can get a good seed contact and growth in the fall so that it can put down enough roots and if it's not winter hardy, it can at least build enough organic matter up to that point when the frost kills it. Or if it is winter hardy, it puts enough down below so that when it warms up in the spring, it'll regreen itself. It can be maybe a little bit daunting for people who are testing their soil and looking at things like organic, percentage of organic matter in there, because it can take five years maybe to get it up even half a percent. But the people shouldn't be too depressed about that because you're still getting the benefits of that, it sounds like. Like they're still getting the benefits even though they may not see that they've had a huge jump in organic matter if they do a soil test. We did a long-term study where we, we were trying methods to increase soil carbon content. And even over 10 years, we could not measure a significant difference in the carbon content. But the biota, certainly the microbial biomass that we measured was there and it went up and, and it works. It's, it, they're, they're getting there. It's just takes a lot of time for that soil to be reconditioned to, to its more natural state before plowing and cultivation started. But it, it helps with the soil biota. That's where it starts. You start feeding them, and the, there's a feedback loop. The more biota you get, the more carbon that you add, and they just help each other out along the way. For more information on cover cropping and other ways to improve soil health, see www.landstewardshipproject.org and visit the Soil Health, Profits, and Resiliency page. If you have comments or suggestions about this podcast, contact Brian DeVore at bdevore at landstewardshipproject.org, or you can call 612-722-6377. Thanks to Laura Borgendale, a Western Minnesota musician, for Ear to the Ground's theme music. And a special thank you to all of Land Stewardship Project's members who make initiatives such as this podcast possible. If you're not a member... Visit landstewardshipproject.org to learn how you can support LSP. Thanks for listening.